0: Welcome to the podcast, Blazing Trails and Breaking Norms, African-American women's legacy in the fire service, presented by the African-American Firefighter Museum in Los Angeles, California. I'm your host, Karen Slider, a retired Los Angeles City Fire Department firefighter paramedic. Join us for candid interviews with outstanding black women shaping the fire service legacy. Please note that the opinions of our guests are their own and do not reflect those of the African American Firefighting Museum. Listener discretion is advised as explicit language may be used.
1: I'd like to welcome everyone to another broadcast of our African American Women in Firefighting podcast series hosted by the African-American Firefighter Museum of Los Angeles, California. Today, I'm acting as guest host. My name is Delisa Davies, retired captain for the Los Angeles City Fire Department, and I will be interviewing the second female firefighter on the job, retired firefighter paramedic, Karen Slider. Hello. (laughs) Now, we're going to talk about her journey into the fire service. Karen, give us a little history about yourself prior to the fire service.
0: Hello, everyone. Karen Slider here. Before I came on the job as a female firefighter, I'm female, obviously. I worked in a nursing position at Kaiser Permanente. I was an N.A. orderly there. Basically, what an N.A. orderly does is more extensive stuff than a nurse's attendant. They like put in Foley catheters. They order supplies. They pretty much are like the gophers for the doctors and the nurses when they need something. But I got laid off. And when I got laid off, soon after I got laid off, I got divorced. And I had two little boys who were looking to me to support them. And... All I had was the background as a nursing aid orderly because I had gotten married when I was very young. I was like seventeen when I got married. So a friend of mine named Marsha, who worked who I met when I worked at the hospital at Kaiser, told me that the fire department was hiring. And I went and worked out, like they had a workout program like it at night after working hours. Like if you got off work at five, you could go there from six to nine and work out. So I went there and I worked out and put in an interest card. And basically, if I hadn't been unemployed, I probably wouldn't have been a firefighter, would have stayed in the nursing position, probably would excel there because I had planned on being a nurse anesthetist. But that's my background, pretty much.
1: When you said that you participated in the training program, was that the Lake Street program that they had set up for women? Westlake,
0: the training facility was open to everybody. But what had happened was in 1980s, the fire department had been sued for discrimination. And so they had a consent decree that stated they had to hire women and minorities. So women and minorities were welcome to come to Westlake and work out because becoming a firefighter involved strength and it involved grip. So they gave you free access to their facility. And after you thought you were strong enough, then you could take a test. And if you pass the test, then they will put you in a program. And that was only for women. It wasn't for the men. And I think it was only for the women because there were only, I think, five women on the job then. And I think you were one of them. I know you were one of them, but there were only like five women on the job when I applied. So it was geared basically on getting women to be qualified, strong enough to look for the best candidates. That's what the Westlake Training Facility was for. And it was for like about six weeks. And then you went into a pre-training academy where they paid you like $900 a month to work out, to read books, to learn all about the fire department, all about the tools and the equipment, knots, ladders. And then you went into the drill academy, the drill tower, if you pass the test and the physical agility. So that's the Westlake Training Facility. That's how they prepared people when I was coming on to become firefighters. Because they had to. They needed minorities and women.
1: Okay. Okay, Karen, I know that you said that you were divorced with two boys. And I wanted to know what challenges you had to face in balancing the workload that you faced with the fire service and how our schedule worked and your family obligation.
0: I was pretty fortunate. I come from a very large family. I have, there's six of us, and four of us are girls. And then I have my mother also, who potty trained and pretty much raised her grandkids until they were able to go into preschool or kindergarten. She pretty much started all of our kids off with her training. So when I came on the job, and she encouraged me not to give it up because there were times when I wanted to quit. It was so hard. She took care of my sons while I worked. I didn't have to worry about them at all. I could work as much overtime as I wanted. I just had to make sure that the supplies were at home. I'd go home clean on my four-day. I'd do laundry. i go grocery shopping. And like you, spend as much quality time as I could with my kids. What was great about our job is we only work 10 days a month. So mm-hmm. even if I decided to work one day more, we work three days on and off, and then we're off for four days. If I just worked one of those days on my four day, that was extra money in our pockets for us to do stuff. I love the fact that we could go anywhere. We can go to Disneyland, Knott's Berry Farm. I took my kids skiing, water skiing, camping, and snow skiing on vacations, on cruises. I did all of that because the fire department allowed me the schedule to do that because I could do it off-season. And it was great. It was great for me. If I would have had a babysitting issue, it would have been a problem. And I know that was a problem, not only for single females who were raising kids, but for some of the males, too. They were raising
1: their children, too. Exactly. I remember, I think it was Joanne had two girls, you had two boys, and I had my daughter, and we were asked to develop the policies for maternity leave and things like that, and then one of the captains, once he found out that I hadn't been married, then I got removed from the committee, but you and Joanne actually finished that criteria,
0: and you remember what were that. your
1: thoughts, yeah, what were your thoughts on at least getting something started for women?
0: I had always had high expectations for the department. When we came on, I always felt like once they saw what women could do, what we brought to the table, that we would be valued. So to develop a program where we could even share our workload, because I think we even tried to introduce working 12-hour shifts because all of us were married and we didn't need a 24-hour paycheck. We just needed a 12-hour paycheck and the benefits could be split or determine who would get them depending on the need. but That never went anywhere. I was proud to be on that committee until they started um, doing superficial stuff. I think the only reason they implemented the maternity program is because they knew women were on the job and we were going to be having babies. But went to a shared workload or shared benefits of truly making the workplace friendly for single parents on both sides. They weren't for that.
1: You know used to bother me at the time was that once you found out that you were pregnant, it was your responsibility to find a spot. And we were like, no, that's your responsibility as the employer. And we actually had to fight them on that. And I think it was your persistence and Joanne's persistence is what got us over that hump. But it was just that was one of the challenging things, was just trying to get that criteria going. But were there other challenges other than the child care issues that you had to face when you were starting your career in the fire service? They didn't like
0: the fact that we looked like women. And we wanted to celebrate the fact that we were women. So some of the things we wanted were minor, to be able to ear- wear earrings if we were on special duty, to be able to wear a skirt if we went to a funeral to have a part of our uniform. Just changing the uniform was the only thing that I could think of that pretty much showed people outside the department that women were here.
1: You know what's crazy about that is it took the commissioner to fight for us to get the uniforms altered so that we can have a female style and they were actually receptive because I brought up the military because it didn't make any sense. The military had uniforms Female that uniforms, we could use. Right. Yeah. Why couldn't we use those? And she just told me, go get one and bring it to me and we'll make it happen. And she did. But it was just things like that. But do you remember any other conditions, especially that affected women of color that we had to, that you had to deal with on the job? Just the racism. They didn't want black
0: men on the job, let alone black women. You know. And the fact that I was from a, a housemaker, a homemaker's position, I pretty much was married very early and I was very traditional in my beliefs about where men and women should be. So when I wasn't welcomed or when I wasn't treated fairly, It was an eye-opener for me. So then I just wanted to fight for all the women that were coming on and that were being discriminated against. And I was asked by the Stentorians, which is a Black organization that deals with, it was when I came on, that deals with racism, to talk to the Board of Fire Commissioners. And because some women were being treated unfairly in the drill tower, and they wanted me to tell them about my experience, My experience in the Drill Tower was one of systematic torture. They did everything they could think of legally to get me to quit. And I refused to. Not because I was prideful, but because I had two little boys who needed to eat and who were growing and I couldn't just quit because what kind of example would that set for them? That's the
1: challenge I had to overcome. Did you feel that you had allies or mentors in the department during your time on, especially in the earlier? Everywhere I looked,
0: when I thought I was alone, I had a cheering section. When I was in the drill tower and they tried to eliminate me by making us do something that no other person, no other group had to do in the drill tower, it was the guys that cheered me on, that were with me, that knew what I could do every day because they were doing the same thing I was doing. When I got out into the field, it was people that had the struggle before, like Arnett Hartsfield and you and the firefighters and the stenturians that came to my aid and let me know that I wasn't alone and that I wasn't going to quit. They wouldn't allow it. They wouldn't allow anyone to abuse me. You were one of those who showed up at Fire Station 66 when I decided I wanted to (laughs) expand my knowledge in the fire service and work in the areas where I was raised. And when I met discrimination there, you showed up to let them know she's not alone. And if she is too much of a lady to let you know that, I'm here to be her voice for her. Arnett Hartsfield showed up at 66 to let them know I am under his protection. Gloria Allred showed up. I had so many people that were rooting me on because it got to the point where Kaiser had called me back. They said, we'll give you a raise. We're sorry we laid you off. But I knew that they would continue to be laying people off. And I didn't want to be in that next group either. And the fire department doesn't lay people off. So I stuck it out because I had kids. Not because I wanted to, because I had to had to
1: yeah had to you know what was amazing arnett he showed up at my station and he said just check it in and i'm looking <laughs> at him like who is who he but every station i went to he showed up and i was just amazed that he actually knew my name where i was the whole shop, but he had been following me and i and then i hear that he did the same thing to you and i was like oh, okay because i thought that i was alone for a long time and i'm not sure of that was because of the culture or what but I felt alone, and I was like, I got my family as backup, so I'm good. But I'm glad that I had you recognize. I'm glad I well, had you, you recognize. <laughs> yeah, you recognized that you had allies, and then too, it was like I wasn't going nowhere. And I told them collateral damage was something, especially military collateral damage. They Whoa. didn't know what they was asking for. Wow. But what was the what was the best part of being a firefighter? for you?
0: The best part of being a firefighter for me was the way little girls would light up when they saw me.
1: That was cool, huh?
0: It was so cool because I know, just like I did as a little girl growing up, that the thought of being a firefighter had never entered their
1: minds until they saw me. Yes, I remember driving the rig, especially the truck, right? driving the truck, parking, it and this like, that's a lady. Yeah, I've been a lady all my life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. But it was funny because they never thought about it, but they kept us so isolated because you were in the valley. I was in South Central and it was like they, they would let us work together no, for some reason. Not even
0: a whole team of us. If we got hired yeah. and there were too many women at a station, they would send us someplace else.
1: Exactly. And I didn't understand that. And it was like, yeah, but now it's like going to the store. Sir, I need to go to the store. Why, sir? I need to go to the store. Why, sir? I need to go to the store. Oh, OK. If it was like, dude, you just don't understand. I need to go to the store. That kind right. of thing. It's the business. If there was Why? A... Exactly. Yeah. And if there was another female, we wouldn't. You, can you wouldn't exchange. have that conversation. Can... Right. Yeah, You wouldn't have that conversation. It was weird. But what were some of the other challenges that you faced, especially as a Black female, other than the racism and things like that? Was there anything else that you had to deal with?
0: As a Black female, just being accepted everywhere I went. Every station I went to, I had to prove myself. Every station. Yep. And when you get old and you've been on the job a little while, you get tired of proving yourself. And I remember this one incident. I was at this one fire station. I, was the, I had the most seniority than anybody in the fire station, captains included. And this one new captain decided that he wanted to give me a rookie's job. And we had boots in the department who had less time than anybody else on the, on, on the job or in the station who didn't know how to do the job he was asking me to do, which is part of training when I came on. It's something that the Boots did. They did fire prevention. They did hydrants, inspections. They did all the hard work so that the people that were seasoned that had time on could just go and have a nice, easy day. He wanted me to be fire prevention coordinator, and I was already a firefighter paramedic. That meant I had to go on fires, and I had to go on rescue. So whatever alarm came in, I was on the rig going. And on top of that, he wanted me to schedule inspections for our district, which is Hollywood, and it's very big. It includes high-rise. It includes single-family dwellings. It included anime apartments with pre-'33 buildings, industrial buildings. It had a whole wide range of responsibilities that you had to inspect to make sure the people weren't going to start any fires. Yeah. And I told my captain, I said, I got a lot on my plate, being a firefighter and a paramedic, running calls all day. I don't think I want to be fire prevention coordinator. And I said this in front of some guys that were working overtime, and they looked at me like I had said something that shouldn't be said. <laughs> and my captain said, Karen, I really need you to do this. I said, that's, a, bun- that's a, a rookie's job. I said, get a rookie to do it. I'm not doing that. And all the guys like gasp. And then he said, Karen, I'm giving you a direct order to become fire prevention coordinator. I said, okay, I'm out of here. I start putting on transfer requests on his desk so often every day, and he'd be telling me, you're not going there. You don't have enough time for that. I said, I talked to the chief, and he said, I can go anywhere I want to go, which was true because I had a direct line with Chief Bamatri, and he looked out for me. I could call him and invite him for dinner, and he'd show up. That's how cool he was. He showed up to help my captain with his interview for chief because I asked him to. My captain was blown away.
1: He was actually a godsend for women. Oh, yeah. They didn't like him for that. Yeah, he was amazing. Now, what was the hardest part or the hardest job that you faced when you were on the department? The
0: hardest job I faced when I was on the department was working at Fire Station 57. The hospitals were closing down, and the people around in the neighborhood were using the paramedics like they were a taxi, service. Yep. And we ran day and night. And there were some people that were afraid of some of the people we went on that I was riding with, who thought just because Black people talk loud, they were going to beat them up. So I was educating guys on the crew about black people and black culture and black behavior. And I was educating the public on when not to call 911 and when to call 911. It was hard. I was tired. I went home. Sometimes I forgot that I wasn't on the engine. I would be running lights. I would be so tired going home. That was the hardest job I had, was working at Fire Station 57 as a new paramedic and firefighter running day and night.
1: 57 was like 46 ers It was like we had two rescues, 800, of paramedic rescue. And and it still wasn't enough. It wasn't. And we ran 30 runs a day or more every day, every day. And I loved it because I was in the neighborhood, families, all that. It was actually cool for me. I did not care. And it was just, I don't know. It like I said, I'm a little hyper sometimes, so that kind of <laughs> kept me distracted. But what is one of the most heartbreaking incidents that you went on? Oh, there's so
0: many, but I guess one of the worst one was a little girl who got ran over.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: She was playing on her little big wheel in her park construction. Somebody backed over, and they didn't know. And when we got there, her mother was holding her, and her mother was covered in blood. And we were working on her, and I got her in the back, got her to a children's hospital, and the doctor just told me that there was nothing they, were, they could do
1: and that her parents should come in and say goodbye. Sometimes I don't, I don't understand their lack of empathy, but from what I recognize with the paramedics and working as an EMT, as long as you're doing something, there's hope for them. And then it's like they don't blame you because you were at least trying. And then when we drop them off at the hospital, it was a totally different story. But, yeah. Yeah, I,
0: I just couldn't get the fact that I got her there breathing and he wasn't yeah. going to do anything. That <clears throat> That was too much for me to comprehend. That's crazy. And then there was another guy who had assaulted his wife all they were traveling across the state. And by the time he called 911 and we got to her, she was in the car and there were two little kids in the back seat and they they didn't say anything. They were completely quiet while we were trying to get their mother out the car. And she was spasming because he had hit her so hard she had brain damage. So she was posturing it was hard to get her out the car. So that was a hard one, taking care of her while being angry with him at the same time and thinking about what the kids had to go through all the way while they were traveling across town watching their mama get assaulted by their dad.
1: And they don't understand that's all part of PTSD. And it took a discussion, actually an argument with the chief to get them to understand that's all part of PTSD, to repetitively see or experience incidents like that. But if you had to do it all over again, would you? Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. I remember when I was going through paramedic training and the doctor was showing us how to do certain different procedures on little kids who may be emergency operations, putting in chest tubes or something like that, or IVs or something like that. And then she says, you might not hit the right spot. You might miss it. But if you don't try, the kid's going to die for sure. And if you miss it and you get it wrong, it's practice for the next one you say. So that's what helped me to cope with all the stuff that I see. I consider the failures the practice for the next one that
1: I could say. So, in closing, is there anything else that You like to add? Yeah, I'd like
0: to add that I've wrote a book about my life and especially my adventures on the fire department, and it's called Thirty One Benny Place, and you can find it on Amazon as an e-book, and it's Thirty One B E N I N G Place by Karen Lastly Slider. That's all i like to add. If you want to
1: know more about my adventures, read my book. <laughs> you know, what would you say to any, especially young African-American females that want to come in or males that want to enter the fire service? What would your advice be?
0: My advice would be that anyone who does not take advantage of this career who has an inkling of being able to do it, it's gonna be having a harder time in life. This is a great career. It provides a great salary. It provides great benefits, medical benefits, and it supplies you with a retirement after you get finished working. This is a great career. This is a great life that Is offered to people who choose to be heroes because that's what we are. People look at us as heroes because we do what other people don't want to do. We run in the fires when people are running out. It's a great career. I'd encourage anybody to do it and take advantage of all the resources to make them successful. Like you, Delisa. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Okay. I'd like to thank you for joining us in our podcast of the African American Females in Firefighting presented by the African American Firefighter Museum of Los Angeles, California.
0: Remember to visit the African American Firefighter Museum at 1401 Central Avenue in Los Angeles, situated at the corner of 14th and Central, just across the street from the Coca-Cola bottling plant. The museum warmly welcomes visitors every Sunday from 1 to 4 p.m. For more information, you can reach us at 213-744-1730. Thank you for tuning in and being a part of our journey celebrating African-American women in the fire service. Stay tuned for more remarkable stories and experiences.